This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Once again, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. It's a beautiful day out there. I'm Walter Rigabon and with me, my, as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. And in studio, our TFC expert this morning, Mark Kennedy. Certainly a few things to talk about in the TFC world. But before we get to that, Mark and Naz, just want to let our listeners know that we'll be taking a trip down memory lane with our, some, with our guests today. Uh, on, the, on the line shortly uh, after our first break will be legendary Buffalo sports anchor Rick Azar. Uh, certainly uh, brings back a lot of memories. Uh, Rick Azar, WKBW, uh, Bill Sabres, 70s. We certainly spent a lot of time listening to that, uh, that sports show. And also, uh, a little bit further down in the hour, the ordinary superstar, Johnny Rogers, legendary Nebraska Cornhusker, Heisman Trophy winner, and also a great CFL player. So we're certainly looking forward to talking to Rick Azar and also Johnny Rogers. Uh, that should be fun. Anyways, it was a real interesting week this, uh, uh, this past few days. Uh, TFC, um, they are certainly in a struggle for a playoff spot. And uh, Jermaine Defoe's been in the headlines. Uh, the playoff run, uh, it's been a pretty bad week in the TFC world. Uh, uh, Mark, you're our, you're our TFC expert. Uh, tell us, uh, is, our T- is TFC going to turn it around, and is Jermaine Defoe coming back to Toronto? No and no. Okay. No. Um, the news at the end of yesterday was that Jermaine Defoe um, tweeted the team and said that he was cheering for them. He's in England, and um, <clears throat> the date, September 20th, has been given as the day of his return. Um, that is not a, a game day. The following day is a game day, so it'll be interesting to see if he is in enough physical or mental shape to start playing for Toronto again. My suspicion is... He's being forced to play for Toronto again if he had his wishes. I haven't <clears> talked to the man. I, I don't know his inner workings. But if he truly intends to go and play in England again come January, he can't, he can't leave his contract with Toronto until uh, January. Um, if that's what he's looking for, then he's going to be very careful about his health in the next couple of months. Um, will Toronto turn their fortunes around? I don't think so. When I said no, they are a team that looks like they are in a horrible tailspin, and um, 
I can't see them getting out of it. I don't see them looking better than anybody right now. Mark, I want to ask you a very pointed question. Why is Jermaine Defoe not in Toronto right now? He has been fighting injuries. What we were told was that he was going to England for a second opinion on a sports hernia injury and that he's doing rehab in England. Part of the deal that they Toronto made was that he would be able to go back and forth from his home in London to his home in Toronto on a frequent basis and that family members would be flown back and forth. So uh, at the start of it, um, it was not a suspicious move when there were rumors that he was looking for an English team at the end of the transfer window at the end of August. Then suddenly everyone started putting things together. Um, are they going to welcome him back to fans? I kind of think that uh, the fans are fed up with this guy. And uh, are they going to welcome him back on the 20th of September? No. Um, there was a banner yesterday in the South End where um, an outline of Jermaine Defoe was on a big uh, sheet and below it the word Judas was written um, almost larger than the... Strong the, words. Very strong words. And it might not be the majority opinion of the hardcore soccer fan in, in Toronto, but it's going to be the opinion of some. And it only takes 10 guys in the crowd to to be yelling and booing and, and causing a ruckus every time he touches the ball. Um, I think he's been a bit of a public relations disaster. He's been avoiding the media for months. It turns out now that he's been unhappy with a lot of things with the team, with the city. and um, Unhappy with the city? That's... In, in what way? What have you heard? It's, it's, it's rumor because he's okay. been quiet. Um, people have been saying that um, maybe it's the Tim Lewicki disease in which <laughs> he doesn't like the weather. No, I'm just jumping to a conclusion there. Um, it has nothing to do with the weather. Yes. But uh, when we see him on the field, he does look as if he's unhappy with the way he's being treated, the way he's being defended, refs not calling uh, – in a way to protect him. He does look unhappy, so when he's quiet off the field, there is yeah. this assumption that... L it, let me tell you my concern about this. And and um, and he's played, uh, you know, I, I think he's performed to a certain, certainly pretty close to expectations. 11, 11 goals in 16 games, I, you know, that's those are pretty good results you, you, in soccer. You took the facts out of my mouth. And for a team that's always had problems putting the, uh, the ball in the back of the proverbial net, um, I think he's produced uh, the way they would have expected him to. So he hasn't let them down so much on, on the field. Agreed. Um, but let me tell you where I think perhaps... Um, he may have he may have let either the team down or, or the fans down. He's he's been away now in England for how long? It might be three weeks. Now. Three weeks. Okay, in the middle of the season. Yes. Um, no doc. No doctors here though to treat. That no, way. I mean, fair enough. Uh, he he went to get a second opinion on a sports hernia. If he felt more comfortable with a doctor in England, that's fine. I, I mean, you know, everybody's entitled to their own uh, personal decisions in terms of their medical. Uh, decisions and if he's more comfortable with opinions from doctors that he knows well in England that's you know that, that's fine I don't have I don't have an issue with that 
but he's been gone for three weeks. Up until yesterday, until I believe he tweeted, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but we, we, up until yesterday, we didn't even know if he was coming back. Yes. Now, now we understand perhaps he's coming back September 20th. Is that what he tweeted? Yes. Okay. So he's been out of North America for three weeks, and he's coming back essentially in another three weeks. So in the middle of a season, in the middle of a stretch drive, when the team is working their butts off to try and make the playoffs, because that was the goal this year, he's not around. And I, I'm just, I just feel that a player of his caliber should show some leadership and should be with the team encouraging them. And certainly that's what he's paid for, isn't he? Well, I, w- I, would, I would argue with you, Walter. Then argue with me. Uh, as usual. Please. I think that Jermaine Defoe was signed to score goals, end of sentence, and the leadership was coming from Michael Bradley. And Michael Bradley, I think, has spoken eloquently about... Good guy. Seems like a good guy. He seems like a good guy. I think he's a great player. And his job was to feed the ball up to Jermaine Defoe. When Defoe's not there, you know, the leadership falters. Um, Or the leadership doesn't falter, but it it becomes in isolation. If you can't produce on the field... and And Bradley, without Defoe out in front of him... Is is a player who's different? Yeah, and it, it just it just seems TFC this week. Every you know the last couple of weeks, everything's gone. It was such a promising season. Then Lewicki decides he's going to leave early. You know, one year into a five year, I understood it was a five year commitment, but I haven't been able to confirm that anywhere. It was reportedly a five year commitment. One year in. He, you know, he decides. Fourteen months, Wally. Well, okay, fine, but I'm sure he made that decision a couple of months. One year in, in a five-year commitment, he's gone. Defoe's gone in England. We're fighting to get the playoff, get to the playoffs, and and you know, it just seems like the season turned itself upside down in a week. And if this hasn't been the worst year in Toronto sports history, you, you tell me another one. I mean, take I mean, the Leafs. You know, stole defeat from the from the jaws of victory. I mean, they turned it around, and they were in the driver's seat for a playoff berth, and they they got obliterated the last three weeks. The Blue Jays were in first place after May and up until into June, and now they're falling off the map. TFC was well on its way to a to a, to a playoff spot, and they're they they seem to be going in the reverse direction. The Argos, do we even want to talk about them? Although they're in first place with a 3-7 and seven record. But, uh, you know, it did, I mean, to be a Toronto sports fan this year, it's got to be pretty tough. Uh, I'm scratching my head. Can I blame it on the mayor? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, go he's right been ahead. blamed for everything else. <laughs> so I might as well blame this on him, too. Oh, well, anyways, before we go to break, uh, uh, just want to mention to our listeners, we do have a contest. Uh, we've got two tickets to a fabulous golf course, Copper Creek. Two complimentary rounds of golf. Uh, to the third caller, please give us a call. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Two complimentary rounds of golf at Copper Creek. It's a $250 value. If you haven't played Copper Creek, call in. It is a fabulous golf course. Anyways, we'll, uh, we'll be back after break with legendary Buffalo sports broadcaster Rick Azar. Really looking forward to that. It was a rainy day when Peterville asked, how much loyalty is there in the world anymore? 
Well, about 14 inches, we figure. Introducing Pizzaville's new loyalty programme. After your sixth order, you'll receive a large 14-inch pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. You scratch our back, we feed your face. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. That's pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, once again live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. It is a distinct pleasure for the Naz and Wally Sports Hour to have with us this morning legendary Buffalo sports anchor, uh, part of the longest running news anchor team in U.S. Of course, who can forget Rick Azar. Rick, are you with us? I'm still here. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well. How about you? We're doing great. Thanks so much for coming on with us. You evoke so many, so many good memories of uh, of uh, us watching you when we were a, a little bit younger, uh, watching you on WKBW. Uh, we're, we're getting up there. A lot younger. Okay. Yeah, it was a while ago, and and uh, I find it really, really hard to believe when uh, when looking into this uh, to interview you. Uh, that you retired in 1989, over 25 years ago. It seems like you were on the air yesterday, my friend. Oh, well, that's very nice. I appreciate that. And I can't, you know, you're the first one that's come up with that. I didn't know it was 25 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did know. Anyways, uh, certainly the 1960s, the 1970s, the 1980s, a different era. 
we used to, up in southern Ontario here, we used to have, uh, some of the younger kids don't remember because you don't see them around anymore. We used to have these, used to have these television towers in our backyards that yep. would have antennas uh, 25, 30 feet uh, up in the air over the roof. And we'd, point them, and we'd point them <laughs> southward. So that we could we could pull in the three Buffalo uh, Buffalo news stations because in those days it wasn't cable TV, and there was there was seven news stations we seven television stations we could we could we could actually see in southern Ontario and three of them were from Buffalo and of course uh, the one uh, you're infamous for you were there with Irv Rick and Tom Eyewitness News yeah C- certainly yep, a, a yep. completely some di- great stories about that I you know Wayne Wayne. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, I'll, I got to tell you a, a, a cute little story about this. I had no idea uh, that this was going to happen, but Wayne Gretzky was uh, on his way to scoring 70-some goals one year, and he came through Buffalo. And, of course, everybody within 50 miles wanted to interview him. And um, so we were at the practice session one day, and... Uh, uh, as I said, there were a whole bunch of reporters and camera guys and everything else, and Gretzky came out, and he came right over to me. First thing he said, Rick, my mother told me that I should not come home until I got your autograph. (laughs) 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 And and I was dumbfounded. I, I couldn't believe what he was saying, you know. But it turns out that our signal used to go right down main street in his hometown in canada so she was a big fan of irv rick and tom and so forth so i always i always prided myself that wayne gretzky asked me for my autograph <laughs> it's funny it's funny rick uh i remember a lot of things about about You're, you and I'm, I'm losing you I, I remember a lot of things about you oh rick. thank you and uh one, uh, you started with the sabers broadcast i think it was uh like eight or ten games and I remember this, and I was a young lad then, and uh, I remember Dave Hodge being the play-by-play guy. Is that right? Yep. How was it in the infancy of the Sabres? How, how, did, they, how did Buffalo fans attract to the NHL? Uh, well, you know, I think, I think that's a very interesting question because hockey – uh, minor league hockey was a very big, big thing in Buffalo, and uh, they had they had affiliations with the Rangers. They had them with Detroit, uh, a lot of different teams. So we saw uh, a lot of great players come through that area, <clears throat> and American Hockey League um, games were very, very big in Buffalo. And it was just a matter of time, and and thanks to the Knox brothers that they were able to get a franchise and bring it to Buffalo. It was, uh, that was a foregone conclusion. Hockey is, still is a big thing in Buffalo. Rick, I, uh, in preparing for this, I, I'd forgotten that you had uh, – college basketball used to be huge in the Buffalo, western New York area in the late 60s and early 70s. And, of course, those were the Calvin Murphy and, and uh, Bob Lanier days. And you, were, you actually did the broadcast for St. Bonaventure. Yes, I did, and and you're right. Um, uh, those teams were so good. Bonnie was uh, listed in the top three for a long time in in the days of uh, Bob Lanier and Calvin Murphy. Of course, was just a sensational player to watch, and we were lucky in Western New York to have 
that brand of college basketball for such a long time. And and we were lucky at KB to be a part of it. I, I, I still remember I was heartbroken that, that yeah, I think it was 1970 that uh, last year Bob Lanier, <laughs> and he when? got <laughs> injured. He got injured. He, 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 he tore his knee up. I believe it was in the NCAA semifinal because I really thought the Bonnies were going to win the whole, the whole kit and caboodle that year. And unfortunately, I, well, he went you down. Know what happened? Uh, Lanier got hurt. Yeah. And, and um, as a matter of fact, he and I watched that, um, that, uh, the game just before the championship game together in his hospital room. And I want to tell you, that was, it was one of the saddest things to sit there and watch the Bonnies try like hell and know that they, they didn't have a chance because their best chance was sitting in the bed in the hospital room uh, within, in, that we, and we were watching the game together. Uh, they, uh, I really believe they had the real shot at being national champions that year. Your opinion on O.J. Simpson, Rick, uh, more uh, as a football player. We know what's gone on with him in the past uh, number of years. But O.J. Simpson, how popular was he as a Buffalo Bill? Oh, my God. He was like a walking god in, in Buffalo. And he was a really nice guy. He got into all kinds of who knows what. <clears throat> and I'm not too sure about uh, the details of everything that happened with him. <clears throat> uh, because, I, frankly, most of us in the media in Buffalo didn't really want to know because we, the guy we knew is the one we wanted to remember. And he was a, he was a, a, a very soft-spoken, hugely talented man. And we were very sorry to hear that he got in the, all, the trouble that he got into, right or wrong. Uh, Rick, uh, tough to believe, but I'm old enough to actually remember when the Bills won the AFL championship. I believe it was 1964, and uh, quarterback in those days was Jack Kemp. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, my favorite player on that team was a receiver by the name of Albert Dubinion. Albert Dubinion, Golden Wheels. The Golden Wheels. (laughs) And they used to to play out of the... uh, out of out of the uh, War Memorial Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, that's what they called it eventually. Yeah. That, I remember it as Civic Stadium. Oh, Civic that's Stadium. We, that, that was the original name uh, of that stadium. It seated about thirty-five, thirty-six thousand. <clears throat> and and when Buffalo got into the AFL, uh, they had to extend it because um, there was a, a you had to have minimum seating at the time of something like 55,000, I'm not sure exactly what, but they had to extend this, uh, uh, the seating capacity so that uh, the Bills could stay in, could stay in professional football. I've that, got, was a, that was a tough time before they built the new stadium. Got to ask you, Rick, uh, the Bills, um, they've, we've had this Bills in Toronto series uh, that's gone on for the last uh, five or six years right. where, the, where the Bills have come to Toronto. I don't think it's really panned out the way uh, the way people would have thought, uh, I, I've always said the Bills belong in Buffalo. Uh, and, and really... Well, I, I, you know, that's it's an interesting question. I understand the idea of of doing that because uh, Buffalo is the closest thing to NFL football to Toronto, um, and and I doubt, unfortunately, uh, I'm not sure about today, but back in the old days. The CFL was a pretty strong uh, group, and and 
the NFL didn't really want to, you know, mess with that. And, and the CFL, obviously, I'm talking about Canadian Football League, <clears throat> they didn't want to um, go down the drain either. So it was a very touchy subject about uh, Toronto, and they try, they're still trying to do that with Toronto making Toronto a, a, a almost like a suburb, and 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 make sure that the fans, the Canadian fans that like National Football League, uh, take the Bills into their bosom and become fans for that. It's that's a tough sell. Just to remind our listeners, in case you don't recognize the voice, just want to remind you, you're listening to legendary former Buffalo broadcaster Rick Azar. It's been uh, got a few minutes left, Rick, and I uh, have to ask you, you've, uh, you've met and interviewed many of the greats, uh, Cosell, Namath, Williams, Perot, even the wrestler Ilio DiPaolo. Who's your favorite interview? Yeah. Who's your favorite interview? Did you know Elio? Oh, I used we're big WWF uh, wrestling fans in the in the sixties and seventies. He had the was he the guy with the airplane spin? I think I think his finishing move was the airplane spin. No, that was Dominic Danucci. Sorry, that was Dominic Danucci. But I do remember Elio Di Paolo. I know Elio very very well. We became very good friends. I know Dennis still the family. I knew well. We visited together in Florida, went to games together at the Super Bowls and all of that kind of stuff. So he was a dear, dear, dear man. And the gentlest guy you'd ever want to meet. And you wouldn't believe it because of his size. He was a huge guy, and he could pick me up with one hand. And he was the dearest man I, I've known. Um, and everybody that, that knew him uh, just loved him. And his restaurant is still a popular place to go to in, in western New York. He was, he was something special. Something I have to bring up with you, Rick. American Bandstand, for all the oh. women. We have a lot of women that listen to our show, believe it or not. I am told that you subbed in for Dick Clark. Can That's you tell correct. us a bit about that? <laughs> I did. Oh, boy. Talk about being nervous. <clears throat> I, what they did was when he, when he went on vacation, when American Bandstand became such a uh, popular show, all the local stations had to do their own bandstand kind of show. And, of course, Buffalo was the same thing, and we did Buffalo Bandstand. So when, when Clark went on vacation, they went around uh, the country, and they asked guys who had similar shows to come in and substitute for them. And sure enough, one day I got a call, and, and I went down um, and 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 um, did one of his shows. I tell you, it was it was a thrill, and and he was a very special guy, a really neat man. Hello. But, yep. Okay. One more thing, Rick, before yeah. we go. Your mo- your most favorite Buffalo team, or the best Buffalo team that ever played, which is it? Which which sport? Football, because I'm a Bills <laughs> fan myself. <laughs> Um, that's, you know, that's, I've never been asked that question. Um, they had, they've had some really, really good teams. I go back all the way to the All-America Conference when they had guys like Julie Rykovich and Otto Graham was playing for Cleveland. And, um, I, I would be very, very hesitant to pick one that was better than any of the other ones. 
However, having said that, you can't eliminate the, the Super Bowl teams and, and how great they were and how close they came to be uh, national championships, uh, uh, national champions. Um, it, it, it would be an injustice not to include those teams and pick those teams as the best that ever came out of Buffalo. Rick, uh, we, uh, we've got to go. This has been uh, a wonderful trip uh, down memory lane. Uh, memory lane, the name Rick Azar certainly evokes some wistful nostalgia. We're really pleased to know you're doing, you're doing well, and, uh, and it's been really, really, really fun talking to you. Thanks so much well, for your thank time. thank you very much. <laughs> it's been fun talking to you. You've made my day. Thanks so Thanks, much, Rick. Rick. Hope to do it again soon. Once again, that was Rick Azar, legendary Buffalo sports anchor. Um, certainly some great stories. Anyways, next, going from one legend to another, we have on the line with us this morning legendary uh, Nebraska Cornhusker and ex-Montreal Alouette, Johnny the Jet Rogers. Johnny, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Uh- can we say former instead of X? X means like I've, I've already died out. <laughs> <laughs> I will certainly correct that. Former yeah. Montreal Alouette, oh. Johnny the Jet Rogers. I just want to uh, remind our, our listeners that we are talking to uh, one of uh, just, uh, it would take me probably 15 minutes to list all your accomplishments, and I certainly won't embarrass you, Johnny, but I do have to tell our listeners some of your accomplishments. You're the 1972 Heisman Trophy winner. You're the University of Nebraska's Player of the Century. Um, Won a couple of AL East Awards, uh, Most Valuable Player in the CFL. You're a member of the 1971 Nebraska Cornhuskers, which was voted by the Sporting News as the greatest college football team of all time. Uh, You were voted one of the best college football players of all time, the best player in the Big Eight of all time. Uh, I could keep going and going, so it's certainly, it's certainly great to have you here. Um, Huskers won a tight one last night. Uh, yes. Uh, it was uh, really close in the last minute of the game. Armand uh, took a, um, went back to the house and about six, seven guys missed, and out of desperation, we were able to, to really pull it off, but it was too close for comfort. No. Johnny, I remember you coming into the CFL, and you were a fascinating uh, person. Uh, you were brash, and you were called the ordinary superstar. How did you come up with that? Well, my logic was I really wanted to, uh, wasn't trying to be, you know, boisterous, uh, trying to be just uh, a superstar. I wanted to be related to more than ordinary people, because I came up from a very ordinary background. Um Nothing exciting at all getting started. I was the first person in my whole family uh, to ever complete high school and definitely the first one to ever go to college. So I didn't really want to to block out a whole bunch of people, but I wanted to be associated with with the ordinary people of uh, of Canada, the French people who had some hard times. A lot of different people who went up against different things that I was trying to... um, represent, but I was rather good at sports, so I did have a superstar status, but I still wanted to blend in with the regular people. Now, you spent four years uh, with the Alouettes, 1973 to 1976, and certainly uh, 
Uh, th- those were some fantastic days in the CFL. They used to have big crowds in, in those days. And tell me a little bit about uh, your time in Montreal and how often do you get back there? Well, my time in Montreal was really a great time. I was fortunate enough to, to come there at a time where uh, Canadian football was really about as big, if not bigger, than American football was for a whole group of people. When I decided to, to come to Montreal, it was a lot of it was because in the NFL they had the philosophy of uh, they'll get three yards on a play and another three yards on a play, and they didn't get four, uh, but it was primarily running. They didn't. It really was a very slow game, and the receivers and the passing scheme that they have today uh, weren't in place. But in Canadian football, it was far more exciting. Uh, you know, you had uh, three downs to make ten instead of four, which makes a tremendous difference. And then you have a longer and wider field as well. You have an extra man. Uh, the only thing that I really instituted a change in that made the Canadian game a little better was uh, the instrument of um, the punt return where they would have blocking on punt returns. Because when I first came, uh, they had 12 men that would come down and tackle one guy, and that, was, <laughs> that, was, that wasn't very exciting at all, and it definitely wasn't very exciting for the Canadians because we always used to put a Canadian back there to be the one that just have to run it back, and it was a horrible experience for them. But it also was a time where, you know, we had the WFL uh, who had came in, the World Football League, uh, and some other um, uh, different leagues that came in. And so they were kind of vi- uh, vying and challenging each other for the talents of uh, college football players all around the country. And I was able to lead a whole group of guys uh, up to Canada that followed me after that. And, and because of that, we were able to start getting more money and, and lead them to where they are today. Uh, Johnny, you played in the NFL, I believe, with San Diego. How was your experience in the NFL? Well, my experience in the NFL was short-lived. I, uh, I uh, got to, uh, to, um, to San Diego, which was a tremendous difference in temperatures. Uh, I went from a very extreme uh, uh, temperatures in Montreal, where we used to tease all the time, but we only had two, two climates in Montreal. It was, it was uh, winter and July. <laughs> 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 and uh, when I got to San Diego, it was the most beautiful climate in the world, and it get, we'd get hot about August or uh, September, but most of the time it was like 75 degrees all year long. I really didn't take in consideration in my conditioning um, uh, coming from the extreme weather in Canada to, to San Diego, and I ended up pulling a hamstring my first uh, year simply because uh, I, I didn't take enough water intake uh, at that time. And I came from a time where they didn't even give you water uh, during party <laughs> practices. Uh, they gave you salt pills and a glass of water, and if you drank water, then you were then you were considered a sissy. So I really wasn't uh, educated uh, properly on what I really should be doing, and that pulling a muscle uh, kept me out of, uh, of of the game for almost a year's time, uh, half a year. So I played about five, six, seven games, oh. and then the uh, the next year I um, in practice, and I had worked out tremendously. Uh, and I thought I was probably in the best condition I'd been in my entire life. And I had one of my teammates uh, step on my on my foot in practice uh, during a passing drill and uh, cracked a piece of my kneecap out uh, about the size of a silver dollar, and that was pretty much the end of my career. 
uh, we drilled holes in it uh, in order to make it uh, go back. And it, it took a while. You know, I went from the wheelchair to the, um, you know, the crutches. And, you know, I was able to manage my way back. But when you lose a step or so in, in a game like that, you, you, you want to just go on out because it's, it really is no fun getting caught. <laughs> you, Johnny, you just uh, away, you, you want to break away and go take it to the house. It's, uh, <laughs> It's a whole different experience when people are catching you and beating you down. We're, we're talking to Johnny Rogers, uh, former Montreal Alouette great and former uh, former University of Nebraska uh, um, uh, superstar, not the ordinary superstar, but a superstar. Uh, Naz? Uh, your relationship with Marv Levy. We had uh, Marv on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke very highly of you, Johnny. Uh, how was your relationship with Marv? Well, it was. It had to be fairly good. Uh, I like Marv a lot. Marv, Marv Levy is a, was a great coach, and he's a, a great man. He was a nice, uh, light-hearted type of a guy. And I was fortunate enough that, that he came from the uh, from from the states with a background in special teams. And me being a punt returning kickoff guy, then I had the uh, I had the benefit of having his knowledge uh, to implement different uh, strategies for me. Uh, to be able to run the punt return back, and it became a very uh, exciting play in Canadian football, uh, as well as the kickoff uh, returns. And you know, and when I was in college, I had a reputation for never fair catching. You know, I always had a green light to do whatever I wanted to do. And then when I went to the Canadian Football League, they didn't have fair catches, so that just fell fell right into my uh, field. My Levy was able to. Um, to lead us to two two great cups, and one of them uh, that we actually won the great cup. The second one we really should have won too. We missed a little chip shot uh, when we had a drive in the final minutes of the, of the end of the game, and uh, our kicker missed a little chip shot, and we we lost the game. But we really should have won too. So my experiences with Marv Levy, I said, really on the upside of uh, more positive than anything else. Uh, Johnny, I remember. Uh... Uh, one of your signature moves, I believe you're the first one I ever saw do this, is uh, you were a bit flamboyant, but uh, uh, you, you you trademarked running into the end zone backwards when uh, when you were you were about to get a TD uh, touchdown. Tell me about how, how that came up and whether uh, whether other players took exception to that at any point in time. Well, that started uh, during the Minnesota game uh, in my in my in college. I can't remember was my junior or senior year. Uh, probably my uh, my senior year because you had to build up courage to even do it. <laughs> but I remember after the game that the press was just livid. Uh, uh, they wanted to know who was this guy at the Dasty, not only to be wearing white shoes because white shoes were are not really allowed. And I didn't have them. I was able to tape because of my ankles and I needed more support. I was able to tape tape around my uh, shoes to make them look like they were white. And then I would spin into the end zone and go backwards. And they asked Coach Devaney what he was going to do, and Coach Devaney said he wasn't going to do anything. He said, I could run them any kind of way I wanted to, just as long as I ran them. And that was that. And from that point on, I would try to, to run some yards on every single touchdown that I caught uh, backwards, and I took that into the Canadian Football League. And uh, the people in Montreal just loved it. And I think all really across Canada, because we filled every stadium that we went to uh, for the years we were there. And it was just good times for uh, Canadian football. Johnny, I've got to ask you about that great 1971 Nebraska Cornhusker team and uh, 
people tend to forget, uh, certainly in college football today, it seems that all the, all the great teams come out of the Southeastern Conference. But back in, the, back in your day there, the great teams were in the, were in the Big Eight. It was you know, Nebraska and Oklahoma and Colorado. And uh, it was a different era. And uh, certainly that team went undefeated. Uh, beat Oklahoma in what they called that particular year the game of the century. I still vividly remember that game, and I vividly remember that punt you returned uh, for a touchdown. Uh, any any memories uh, uh, of of that particular team? What made that team so great? Well, I, I think it was really um, what really made it so great was actually we had a great coach in there, Bob Devaney, and he was very liberal-minded in thinking. And uh, I remember when I was uh, contemplating going to USC, I, I got drafted out of high school to play baseball uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so I made a trip out to um, to California uh, to, to try out for the camp, and they, they offered me a contract for uh, $25,000 uh, a year for, for, for three years. And uh, I was contemplating taking that, but I had somewhere when I was like 19 years old, I started thinking about $100,000, and I didn't even know really what $100,000 was, but that's what I meant to, to get. And so I went over to the SC, and uh, I went to the Coliseum, and I ran on the field there. You know, just kicked it around a bit where Mike Garrett had been and uh, where O.J. Simpson had, had played, and he was really uh, big in, in my life at that time. Just, uh, those are guys that I just looked up to, and they all went to, to SC, so I wanted to try to get to SC. And uh, when I got back from California, I met with uh, some of my mentors that asked me to meet with uh, Bob Devaney, which I really wasn't that excited in meeting because uh, Nebraska just had, you know, six and six and stuff like that. They really weren't a, a really a, a good football team. But in meeting with Bob, Bob told me that he was going to take the time out right now that he wanted to have honors uh, for that were not just big eight honors for our players, but he wanted to have uh, all Americans, and that he didn't really want to win Big Eight championships. He wanted to win national championships, and that if I was to come to Nebraska, I could really make a difference in them getting to that point of, of getting those national championships. Because he was on a quest to uh, to recruit more African Americans uh, to play than anybody else at any any other given time, and that's pretty much what he did. And when I did visit with him and seen the recruiting and and seen the guys that were coming up for freshmen. We had a tremendous amount of players like Willie Harper or Richie Glover, uh, Spider Atkins, uh, just a whole host of African-American players that were that were being recruited to play when that was a time that African-Americans really weren't able to play that much in a lot of special places like in the south in Alabama, uh, Arkansas, in those particular areas. And uh, uh he was able to convince me that if I were to come to Nebraska, they would let me play baseball and football, and I would have an opportunity uh, not just to, to get a national championship that they were really trying to get, but I could maybe walk in the footsteps of my idols, of uh, Mike Garrett and, and O.J. Simpson and win Eisman Trophy, and I would have an opportunity to, uh, to play baseball up against football and to possibly get $100,000. Oh, so what an interesting story that is. I understand uh, you're quite a singer, Johnny, and uh, you want to sing us a little tune about the ordinary superstar? Uh, I don't know about quite a singer, but uh, <laughs> I made a song. Repeat, you made so. a song about the ordinary superstar. Uh, you got a couple of lines for us before we uh, before we go to break? 
Well, I can try it. Give it a shot, Johnny. Yeah, those children try to be like me. They all want to be famous and free. Yeah. You all know that I'm a player, and I don't mind you playing around with me. I'm just trying to give you more of what you've all been asking for. I got to say, I know the way I'm your ordinary superstar. Johnny, this is this Fantastic. is this is that. Thanks so much for that. That was a blast. Um, it was certainly it was certainly a lot of fun talking to you. We have so many great memories of your days with the with the Huskers and with the Alouettes. You're certainly uh, certainly one of the greatest college football players of all time. It was really really a, a pleasure watching you when you played, and you had some fantastic years in Canada. We thank you for that, and uh, we, we thank you so much for coming on the show. And my friend, you're not an ordinary superstar. You're a superstar. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, fellas. I appreciate the recognition. It's been a blast. It's our Thanks, pleasure. Johnny. Thank you. Okay. That, that was Johnny Rogers, one of the one of the football greats uh, of all time, uh, and uh, we'll be right back after our break. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I got my fill. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. You get two Ponzerati with two toppings each, plus two big Pepsis. The deal is a peach. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. Just thirteen ninety nine. That's low. For show, let's, whoa. Ponzo Combo, Ponzo Combo. Visit pizzaville.ca or call 736-3636. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steels Paint, 4190 Steels Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. From face-offs to playoffs, 
field goals to own goals. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. That was certainly uh, some two interesting interviews. Rick Azar, uh, a former Buffalo legendary broadcaster, and Johnny Rogers, one of the greats of all time. Any thoughts, Naz? Johnny Rogers really impressed me. I never saw that side to him. Uh, or What we heard today was fascinating, his experiences in college and with the Alouettes. And he had a serious side, and he played his tune at the end there, was which, a, was, which is, well, it was fun to listen to, for sure. The ordinary superstar, Johnny Rogers. Uh, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a big supporter of community causes, and we support on our show the Foundation Fighting Blindness. It's an organization committed to relieving... Uh, uh, and uh, uh, restoring sight to millions of Canadians. It's a great organization. Check them out, the Foundation Fighting Blindness, at www.ffb.ca. Uh, certainly a great organization to support. And uh, NFL football uh, started uh, Thursday night and really gets underway today. Uh, the Bills are uh, are your favorite team, Naz. They've got a big game in Chicago. They've looked, uh, to be honest, Inept. they've looked terrible in the preseason. Uh, how, how are the Bills shaping up? The one thing I do have to say, those preseason doesn't mean a thing that when they, until they start uh, playing. And uh, Seattle, uh, Seattle opened on Thursday night and absolutely destroyed the Packers. And they look like they uh, are going to be a tough nut to beat. In the NFL this year again, Seattle. Uh, the Bills. Uh, let's see how their uh, offense does. The the Bear defense. Uh, the things I'm hearing about the Bear defense is they've gone through a lot of transition and they may be a little weak. So expect the high scoring game. Hopefully the Buffalo offense can get going. And your pick, uh, your Super Bowl picks. Let's 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 cut to the chase here. Oh boy. Uh, I made my picks, and uh, people are going to fall off their chairs when I, I say it. I'm not going to go be, uh, uh, and uh, trade teams now, as some guys do. They pick two teams, and then they go through the middle, middle of the year and take another two teams. I like the Steelers, and I like the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. I've got to make an overall observation. Um, I believe Nas and Wally have become the traffic cops for memory lane. It's wonderful to listen to you talk to people of your... But then, Wally, you asked for the cut to the chase, the Super Bowl. One of these days, I'm afraid you're going to ask for a, a prediction for a Super Bowl 2020 and 2030. You're so far into the future that it's a bit shaky. I, I, I think he's criticizing me. <laughs> I think somewhere. he's criticizing <laughs> you for sure. <laughs> anyway, so you let them play the first games uh, first, right? Precisely. Precisely. Who who's going to be the surprise well, team? You got to you got to pick or, the super or the surprise uh, player. Of anyways, the year we got it. Surprise coach of the year. Who invited this guy? In? <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, we'll 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 talk about that certainly. But um, uh, you got Green Bay and the Steelers. Interesting picks. Uh, Green Bay didn't look so good Thursday night. Uh, we'll certainly keep that one written down. I've got New England, San Francisco. New England, San Francisco. Um, so we'll certainly see who's uh, over the course of the season who's who's got a who's got a better eye on it than than anybody. You know, it's funny because the quarterbacks are getting older. Like Tom Brady's like thirty seven, thirty eight. Uh, Manning is, I think, thirty nine, turning forty soon. 
How long can these guys last? I know they've been tremendous quarterbacks in their career, but how long can these guys last? And I'm just wondering if this is not the year one of the two quarterbacks, either Manning or uh, Brady goes down and uh, his their careers go down. I'm just, you know, 40-year-old so, quarterbacks, you know. Well, they're, you know. George Blanda aside, but 40-year-old quarterbacks. You know, well, it's, you know. The, it's, in the NFL, especially. Well, it, it all comes down to injuries. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, uh, they don't have – I mean, Manning had a pretty serious injury a few years back that they thought was could have been career-ending, which was the neck injury. But he seems to have fully recovered with that uh, from that. Uh, a lot of them get uh, – Manning and Brady seem to have played in a way that they really didn't get beat up all that much in their entire careers – um, you look at some of the some of the quarterbacks from the '90s, like uh, Troy Aikman or Steve Young. I mean, they they had to retire because of all the concussions that they. But Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay, and I picked yeah. Green Bay, but Aaron Rodgers has had a lot of injuries. And yeah. he's not far off too. Well, it it, it 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 depends on the type of game that you play. Um, I mean, Brady and Manning haven't been the type of quarterbacks that go looking to run the ball. Uh, oh, they don't have. They the, can't run. They, well, that that probably keeps them away from yeah. the injuries, right? Like a guy good, like a like, great pocket quarterback. You know, so. Rodgers is a great. Uh, you know, he's a great athlete, and, and he can run out of the pocket. But Brady and Manning tend to stay in the pocket, and they don't. They don't get the daylights beat out of them the way some of the other quarterbacks. I, I think they still. You know, their arms still seem to be working pretty good, and uh, they're certainly uh, seem to be at the top of their game. Naz, I think when you're talking about the age of quarterbacks, perhaps there's a disconnect between college football and the NFL. It used to be that there would be obscure college teams that would develop NFL almost ready quarterbacks, and perhaps the popularity of college football means that they can't develop that kind of player. They have to go with what works for them immediately. I think you've raised a really good point, and that's why some of these uh, some of these uh, quarterbacks are NFL ready nowadays because the college game has changed quite a bit. I mean, you go back to the Nebraska, Johnny Rogers, Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, they had they had these wishbone uh, uh, formations in the backyard. They used to have that. What do you call that when the quarterback runs and he and he flips it out to the uh, running back or he turns it in? Uh, that play used to have a special name. I can't remember what what the, what the name of it is. But now the college quarterbacks and the college uh, coaches are running pro style offenses. Was that called the flea flicker? No, it wasn't no, no. the flea flicker. No, I'll come up with it. We'll Google it after the show. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the college coaches are running pro style offenses now, uh, more so, way more so than the old days. And you're developing quarterbacks that seem to be NFL ready, like the first year they they, they come in. I mean, the court, I, I like a Russell Wilson, an Andrew Luck. The um, these guys are taking over offenses their first, second years. Uh, Griffin, RG3 in Washington. True. In the old days, these quarterbacks would have to sit on the bench for two, three, four years but and the learn the offense. The quarterbacking has changed in the NFL. They used to be just pocket quarterbacks, and they used to not run at all. But now they run. Now, Joe Theismann was probably one of the first guys when he went to the NFL who could run out of the pocket and gain yards, right? And uh, it went back to pocket quarterbacks. And now these guys are phenomenal athletes. Like Russell Wilson, you watch him play. Oh, and that play. kid in San Francisco. And the kid in he's, San Francisco. He's Kaepernick. He's, he's unbelievable. Unbelievable. These guys are fantastic athletes. And hopefully Buffalo, uh, E.J. Manuel, becomes that type of quarterback. 
But these guys are incredible athletes, and that's why you see a young quarterback able to win the Super Bowl like Russell Wilson because he is so athletic and so good, and things have changed at that position for sure. Got one minute left. The one uh, one topic I do want to bring up. I want to uh, yesterday at down at the ACC, the Leaf Fan Fest. The two more Leafs were uh, I don't know if it's elected or nominated or selected, whatever word you want to use, to what they call Legends Row. We uh, we interviewed a few weeks back Mark Kennedy, who was Teeter Kennedy's son. Yesterday, Daryl Sittler and Johnny Bauer. The Boris uh, Salming wasn't in there. No, Boris Salming was. But I do want to. I do want to congratulate Daryl Sittler and Johnny Bauer, two two incredibly classy gentlemen. Uh, Daryl Sittler, of course, you hear him on our show, uh, giving the uh, sponsorship for our, one of our sponsors, Alta Infinity. Johnny Bauer, certainly one of the most beloved Toronto Maple Leafs of all time. Uh, you can't argue with either one of those picks. Hopefully we'll see Dave Keon there soon. Anyways, it's time to wrap it up. I do want to thank our sponsors. And uh, we want to announce the winner of the contest, Copper Creek. Two rounds at Copper Creek. Dorothy Thurlow of Ancaster, Ontario wins two green fees at Copper Creek. Anyways, congratulations. You're going to have a fantastic day of golf at Copper Creek. Uh, Thanks to our producer, Calvin. Uh, Naz, have a great week. Mark, have a great week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning live from Liberty Village on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.